New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. The path your life takes depends on three causes. How you manage your challenges, protect your vulnerabilities, and increase your resources. These causes are located in three places, your world, your body, and your mind. Growing resources in the mind has a unique power. It offers the greatest opportunities since you usually have more influence over your mind than over your body or world. You can take your mind with you wherever you go. These are the words of our guest today, psychologist Rick Hansen. Today, he'll be sharing with us ways to grow our inner strengths, creating positive neuroplasticity that promotes well-being and resilience in an upward spiral. Dr. Rick Hansen is a psychologist with a deep interest in neuroscience and mindfulness. He is a senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley, and author of many books, including Buddha's Brain, Just One Thing, Hardwiring Happiness, The CD Set, Meditations to Change Your Brain, and Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. Join us for the next hour as we explore staying calm and centered in the face of adversity with our guest, Dr. Rick Hansen. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to New Dimensions. Rick, welcome. Justine, it's a pleasure to be here. It's just a pleasure to have you. I would like to begin resilience. Um, You know, it's more than managing stress, anxiety, loss, trauma. There are some fundamental strengths that you talk about in changing our brain for resilience. Can you talk about some of those fundamental strengths that we can develop? Sure, absolutely. So first, what is resilience? Uh, Resilience is our capacity to recover when we're knocked down and to keep on going in the face of challenge toward our dreams and toward making the world a better place. Resilience is what we draw upon to sustain any kind of long-term well-being or happiness. I've been in the human potential movement and I've been a clinical psychologist for a long time. And I often think about the ways in which people often talk about practices like gratitude or mindfulness or self-compassion, almost as if they're like a magic carpet ride. Just do this thing and suddenly you'll be happy. Well, 
I'm all for those kind of practices, but without inner fortitude, without resilience inside ourselves, we're not able to cope. We're not able to adapt to change and therefore not able to sustain well-being for ourselves or other people. So we need these kind of inner strengths that comprise resilience to be able to be truly happy in a lasting way. The amazing thing, though, on the other hand, is how do you grow resilience? A lot of people these days talk about um, identifying strengths inside yourself and using strengths inside yourself, but they, ignore, but they ignore the critical question of how do you grow them? How do you grow determination or grit or compassion or self-compassion or confidence or skills with other people? How do you grow these things inside yourself? So that's what my work is really much about, and that's what this book is about as well. The actual how of healing personal growth, development, even transformation. How do you actually do it? And what the research shows is that while our genetics account for probably about a third of what makes us up, the other two-third in principle is acquired, which means for better or worse, we can make it better or unfortunately it can become worse. That means that we actually have a tremendous power inside ourselves to change ourselves over time for the better. And therefore it means that we can acquire uh, the, the elements of resilience, such as determination and inner calm and a sense of connection with others. We can build that over time. And we need to build those strengths over time because that's what actually makes us resilient. And what's interesting is that we build those strengths, and I'll finish on this point, um, by actually changing our brain for the better. In other words, any kind of personal growth, if a person becomes more mindful or patient, or they have more of a sense of personal worth, or they become more skillful in navigating tough situations, uh, that must involve some kind of change in their body. Otherwise, the experience itself might have been pleasant, but there's no lasting value. So the question then becomes, how do you get your brain to change for the better? in a challenging world so that you actually hardwire more patience, more confidence, more happiness, and other factors of resilient well-being into your own nervous system. I'm sure we'll explore how to do that, but the takeaway point is you really can do it. You really can use everyday experiences, including the small experiences of daily life, to change your brain for the better in ways that are durable so that the residues of your experiences stay with you and you keep them with you and take them with you wherever you go, which I think a lot of people really appreciate because so many things don't seem to last these days. And what I'm talking about is change that lasts inside yourself that you take with you and feels very authentic and legitimate from the inside out. So one of the things that you talk about and, and gift us with in in this new piece of work, Resilient, uh, is um, something you call the HEAL process. And this is kind of helping us to remember something. You use yeah. the word HEAL, H-E-A-L, yeah. HEAL. And can you kind of help us to know what this process is about? And this is kind of the basis yeah. that you keep referring to in different ways throughout your book. Yeah. So I've been in the change business for 40 plus years. I started when I was real young uh, in the human potential movement and along the way uh, became trained as a clinical psychologist, a mindfulness teacher, and uh, at this point 
quite deeply knowledgeable about how the brain works. But what's really interesting is that we have lots and lots of people who are involved in helping change happen, helping healing to occur, spiritual growth, personal growth, inner development. Great. But people rarely ask, how does change happen? How does lasting change happen? And that's where a little knowledge of neuropsychology is very useful. The bottom line here is that if a person wants to, and you can do it while listening right now, if a person wants to help themselves become a little happier, a little wiser, a little more loving, a little calmer, a little stronger inside, whatever kind of positive development a person's interested in, it happens in two steps. Two steps, and both are necessary. In the first step, we must experience what we want to grow or some kind of related factor. In other words, we become, let's say, more mindful by having lots of experiences of mindfulness or related factors such as concentration or steadiness of mind. And then uh, we must internalize in the second step those experiences. So the first step is always experience. You can't put a cable into the brain, and I fear the day that technology might even develop, and suddenly you you learn how to fly a helicopter or do kung fu, like in the movie The Matrix. No. We start with an experience. But the second necessary step is that experience of greater patience or happiness or feeling good about yourself must leave lasting changes behind in the nervous system. Otherwise, there's no lasting change. In that first stage, I call activation. There's some kind of state of being that's occurring. The second stage is installation in which that state becomes a trait. So that's the two-stage fundamental process of change. And I simplify it by just summarizing it as have it, enjoy it. Have the experience and then enjoy it to help it install its way into your nervous system. Now I summarize that process, and I'll keep it quick here, with that acronym HEAL, H-E-A-L. The H stands for have. That's the first stage of learning, of change. Have the experience. Usually because you notice it, it's already happening under your nose. Like right now, you're looking at me with attention and I feel connected with you. That's an experience that's happening right now. Or a person could deliberately create an experience, like calling up an experience of gratitude or encouraging themselves when something difficult has happened. In either case, now the song is playing inside your mind. It's on the inner iPod or jukebox. Now you got to turn on the recorder and help it get installed into your brain. So the E and A in the HEAL acronym refer to enrich and absorb. Simply put means enrich the experience by protecting it, helping it be big in your mind, feeling it in your body, keeping it going for a breath or two or three. And A for absorb means sense and intend that the experience is sinking into you while getting a sense of what's rewarding about it, what's meaningful about it. Both of those things will increase the impact of the experiences you're having. You'll gain more from them. There's a famous saying in neuroscience, um, neurons that fire together, wire together. So it's kind of concrete and kind of practical. It's sort of mechanical. The longer those neurons are firing, the more intensely they're firing, the more they engage your whole body as they fire in terms of really feeling your experiences fully, the more they're going to tend to wire into you. And also the more you have a sense of the reward, like what's juicy? 
what's pleasurable, what's enjoyable, what's meaningful, what's important to you in the experience, the more that will release neurotransmitters like dopamine and norepinephrine, which will flag the experiences you're having as keepers and hardwire them into your nervous system. It sounds complicated, but it really boils down, as I said before, to have it, enjoy it. Stay with the experience. Don't waste it on your brain to help it have a lasting effect on you. And then the last uh, letter in the acronym HEAL, L stands for LINK. It's the optional step in which we link positive and negative experiences together, making the positive one bigger so that since neurons that fire together wire together, the positive associates with the negative, soothing, calming, and replacing it. For example, feeling off to the side of your mind, old feelings perhaps of being rejected or less than others or inadequate or unworthy, while let's say in the front of your mind is the experience of being included, of being wanted, of being praised by a boss, being loved by your partner or your dog, you know, puts his head in your lap and just loves you to bits. Uh, If you're aware of both of those at the same time for a breath or two or three or longer, this is all usually quite quick, you literally, and research supports this, can use that prominent positive experience to ease and soothe and replace the negative one. I want to say that I, I tried it when, it when I read about, especially the linking, that, mm. that became like, oh, wait a minute, I have to think of the, the negative like experience and I link it to this positive and then the positive starts to get bigger than the negative and I, I tried it. And I was amazed. Yeah, it 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 actually is more simple than it sounds. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that in just one moment. I just want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Rick Hansen. He's the author, along with his son, uh, Forrest Hansen, of the book Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, rickhanson.net or you can get there through the New Dimensions website newdimensions.org I'm Justine Willis-Toms you're listening to New Dimensions I'm here with Dr. Rick Hansen, and he is the author, along with his son, Forrest Hansen, Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. And we've just gone through the HEAL process, and to even get there means that 
we have to kind of break up a pattern of negativity. Let's say fear. Let's talk about fear. Sure. Because uh, in these times, it seems pretty natural for us to be living yeah. in a very anxious, stressed out state. Yeah. You're saying that we, we need to pause long enough, at least, to start to even think about installing this mm. this new programming and overriding this mm -hmm. kind of pattern of negativity. Mm -hmm. So what do you suggest? Uh, two really important points, side by side. The first is that uh, nothing in what I'm saying is about pushing away painful experiences. Because if we resist them, they persist, and it just makes it worse. Uh, most fundamentally, we need to be able to be with the whole of our experience. That's point one. But point two is that if we're going to cope in life, if we're going to get through a typical day, just stressful, juggling a lot of balls, doing a lot of things, if we're going to navigate conflicts with other people, if we're going to keep on going when we're tired or irritated, uh, if we're going to manage our own emotional reactions, or if we're trying to grow in our self-actualization, perhaps even a spiritual practice, if we're trying to grow in those ways, we need to build up resources inside ourselves. I've done a lot of rock climbing, a lot of stuff in the outdoors, and I think about what's in my backpack. I Water, food, a little first aid kit, the stuff we take with us. So for me, it's really old school. It's the essence of self-reliance what I'm talking about. How do you grow those inner strengths, those inner capabilities, including understanding others? including empathy for others, commitment to social justice, commitment to sobriety, commitment to exercise, whatever that might be, eating fewer carbs, telling your partner you love her more often, whatever you want to grow inside yourself. That's what I'm interested in developing. And what's amazing is that the way we grow anything First, experience it. Second, internalize it. And uh, most of what we grow is not some kind of million-dollar moment. It's not even often enjoyable. So it's easy to reduce what I'm talking about to something as, something as simple as smell the flowers. Well, nothing wrong with smelling the flowers. But most of what we're taking in and developing inside ourselves in the moment feels pretty neutral. It's like we realize, oh, uh, it's not my fault my partner's an alcoholic. Hello? That's a, that's a neutral kind of thing to realize as an idea, but a very important thing to internalize. Or maybe you realize that things go better with another person if you speak in a certain way, or you just steer clear of certain kind of explosive words for that person. That too is learning. So this is the kind of learning that I'm talking about as well. These are the kind of things we grow inside ourselves. And to do it, you're exactly right. You have to intend to do it. Because um, as people go through their day, even I, I'm an expert about this. I'm amazed the number of times I'll go through the day and I'll see something beautiful or I'll experience a sense of accomplishment or I'll feel close to another person or I'll realize something useful and boop, boop, on to the next channel, on to the next channel. And I think there's a lot about our culture. It's ADD-ish. It's consumerist. People are always chasing the next shiny object. But the problem is they feel hollow inside like they're running on empty because they don't slow down enough for a breath or two or three, a dozen, two dozen seconds to allow the brain to catch up with the experiences they're having and allow the emotional and more ancient sensory motor parts of the brain to have time to really internalize the experiences that are flowing through the nervous system. I'm just reminded of 
There's a quote in your book of Kierkegaard. Do you remember that quote? Not exactly. The short version is something like people um, seek pleasure, but they race past it. Yes. Yes. I mean, it happens so fast and we just, we don't notice it. I mean, and I'm thinking too, Rick, that it's like we want these big changes. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're focused on the big changes. But what you're saying is to notice those smaller moments mm-hmm. that, that get us to yep. the bigger ones. Am I That's exactly right. You're moving through your day. You're having experiences already. Duh. And the question is, do they have any lasting value? Are, at the end of the day, are you a little stronger, a little wiser, a little more loving, a little happier, a little more capable than when you woke up that morning? That's the fundamental process of change learning broadly defined. And what I'm very interested in is using the experiences you're already having or in a structured way in my online program and in in this book, I take people through 12 key strengths so that you develop each one of these 12 strengths in ways that become deeply embedded in your body so you feel more and more, this is my resting state. You feel um, happier. You feel more uh, contented. You feel a greater sense of inner peace when you develop these strengths. So you're growing this baseline of of resting state rather than this anxious state. You're replacing that state with a, a, a more calm and and grounded resting state. Is that yeah. what you're saying? My own background's in yes, my own background's in developmental psychology. So as a parent or an educator or a therapist, you think about uh, positive traits. Right? States come and go. States are like cotton candy. States, mental states, states of being, including they're sensations. They're like the clouds, huh? Yeah, they're like the clouds. There's a quote in the book from Pema Chodron, you are the sky. Everything else is just weather. Right? States are like clouds, just like you said. It's weather moving on through. The question is, does, um, does it leave any kind of lasting beneficial change in terms of your traits? Do, or do you acquire greater trait gratitude or trait determination or trait grit or trait happiness? Do you shift your inner mood from being mildly negative, worried, depressive, irritable routinely? I think that's where a lot of people's resting state sits, can you gradually nudge that resting state so that while you're engaged in the real world and dealing with real issues on the short order cafe of life, while you're doing all that, your inner core, your unshakable core has a um, fundamental quality of well-being in it, which I define as a fundamental quality of peace, contentment, and love in the foundations of your psyche, or you could say in the background uh, wallpaper of your mind. That's the opportunity to move from a resting state uh, of feeling pressed and pressured and driven and contracted and uneasy and discontent and uh, disconnected from other people and worried about what's happening uh, to a resting state of calm, of happy. You could be enthusiastic. You can be delighted uh, in your core as a core of calm strength oh, and well-being. Let's talk about calm for just a moment because you share a wonderful experience that you had yeah. where you experienced Actually, it yeah, saved your life totally. to go to calm. So can you describe what that was like? Oh, it's it's actually a very sacred experience for me. And um, 
I think this is probably the first time I've ever spoken of it on air. Uh, essentially, I was 16. I was a camp counselor in Catalina Island off the coast of Los Angeles. And uh, we took the kids out routinely in the bay there and would go skin diving. So no oxygen with us, no air with us, just what we had inside our own lungs. And in that area were these wonderful kelp forests coming up from the base of the bay, um, 50, 60, 100 feet tall, these vast trees. And the nature of kelp, if you've seen it, is that the leaves are and the stems are are very strong and wiry, they're, and you can't tear them, and they're uh, thick and opaque, so you can't see through them. Foolishly, I dove into a kelp forest, and I thought I would kind of swim through it to an open passage, and I was trapped. So at this point now, I have no idea how long I've been underwater, half a minute, pushing a minute. I'm trapped in kelp. I start thrashing to break free, but like these so-called Chinese uh, finger puzzles where you the more you stick your two fingers in and the more you pull, the tighter they get. I, uh, the more I thrashed, the more enmeshed I became in the kelp. I was drowning. I was going to die. And I was panicked. Uh, and then from somewhere, literally two words. It was like literally, you know, I'll tell the true story. It was like a receding tunnel, white light in my imagination. And from far back up that tunnel, uh, two words came, cool it. Literally, that was it. I instantly relaxed. I instantly cooled it, dropped into a very deep kind of calm, as you said. The mask was around my throat. I had lost a fin. The snorkel was ripped out of my mouth. I was surrounded by orange-brown leaves. And yet... Very slowly, because I needed to do it slowly. I picked the leaves off myself. I gradually disengaged, kicking my way up. Uh, I finally cleared the kelp with no sense of discomfort or panic. Um, I saw the water above me, another 10 or 20 feet above me, kicked my way up, broke the plane. Now I was above the water. Whoosh, my ordinary personality returned. But during that experience, I felt that um, I now know that it's possible to have an a place inside of absolute clarity and calm, even in the middle of the greatest difficulties. And for me, there's a saying from the Buddhist tradition that kind of speaks to what resilient well-being really is all about, walking evenly over uneven ground. That is uh, such a powerful story, and it demonstrates and illustrates how you, I know, Rick, can call on that now at any point in your life because it it lives not just as a as a concept right. in your mind yeah. it actually resides in the somatic That's right. memory of your body yeah. and you can then shift back into that at right. any point you said it so well it's it's in me it's an embodied trait and not because I'm special or fancy. It's what we all are trying to develop. It's exactly like you said. We're trying to grow embodied traits that we can drop into or tap into or call upon as needed as we navigate our way in this world. And I think this uh, essence of self-reliance is more necessary today than 
ever, as for so many people, one, they feel buffeted by an increasing pace of change and technology and media and everything happening around them, while simultaneously, there's this very uneasy sense that uh, the, the glue that holds society together is melting somehow, and our larger institutions and our political apparatus are not really delivering the goods for people anymore. So more than ever, uh, we need to turn to ourselves to develop our inner strengths in these lasting ways, not instead of helping the world be better. If anything, as you grow these strengths inside yourself, you're more able to sustain effort in political causes or more able to sustain effort for social justice or to just take care of the people better around you. Um, the people who most need the benefits of looking for authentic opportunities each day to have and internalize good experiences are the people who need it the most are not the upper middle class yuppies at yoga camp, you know, in a hammock, sipping a, a, a non-alcoholic Mai Tai or whatever. That's a caricature. It sounds pretty good in some ways. But no, <laughs> the, the, the tougher a person's life, the more they've been mistreated, the, the less that society as a whole is helping them out, the more they need to use the power of positive neuroplasticity in ordinary, everyday ways to grow inner strengths inside themselves, including the fundamental inner strength of well-being. I'm here with Dr. Rick Hansen. He's the author of Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Rick Hansen, and um, Rick, I, I just want to remind our listeners that you do something um, from what you call the Foundations of Well-Being, a year-long personal growth program that you make available to people. If you could briefly say something about that, I know some of our listeners would like to know about that. Well, thank you. Just very briefly, this book, Resilient, is based on this online Foundations of Well-Being program I created, which summarizes tons of material in really practical ways. At about an hour a week, a person could roughly take a year to go through the program. Uh, it involves, it includes guided meditations, little talks by me, guest experts like Tara Brock and others, as well as a lot of supportive material in an online way. And what's nice about that program is that while it's chock full of material and it's very inexpensively priced for comparable type programs, we also love scholarshipping people into it who have financial need. And people can learn more about that program just by going to my website, rickhanson.net, rickhanson.net, and you can learn about uh, the Foundations of Wellbeing program there. That's great. Thank you so much for mentioning that. I want to go back to something that you have in your book that surprised me. You talk about how we are liking something and wanting something and the difference between them, even the neurological difference between liking right. and wanting and how that wanting is almost a, a, an 
auto, automatic sort of thing that's kind of running subsurface, so to speak, all the time that we're uh, we're desiring something, looking for something new, constantly like at at this kind of agitated state. And so you make a distinction between liking something and wanting something. I'd love for you to talk about this for a moment. Oh, it's one of the most interesting intersections of ancient wisdom about desire and modern neuroscience. So let me just create a little framework here. Um, Basically, uh, many, many models of human beings and and other related non-human animals, because we're grounded in biology here and evolution, uh, says we have basically three needs. We need to be safe, we need to be satisfied, and we need to be connected. All right, that gives us three needs. And those three needs are an organizing framework in the book because we need to be resilient in terms of meeting our needs. That's the point of resilience. Resilience is a means to an end. So I focus on different strengths related to each one of those three needs. And one of the strengths related to the needs for satisfaction, for fulfilling goals, for achieving things, for accomplishing things, for solving problems. One of the key strengths related to the need for satisfaction is motivation. And to motivation, the question is, how can we be motivated? How can we pursue the good? How can we dream big dreams, dare greatly, as Brene Brown puts it? Uh, How can we pursue our goals without tipping into the red zone about it, without getting caught up in fear and anger, frustration, disappointment, drivenness, and conflicts with other people? How do we actually do that? So that's a big question. And the key to it, Um, several keys to it. One of the keys is to rest in a feeling of liking, of enjoying as you pursue your goals without getting sucked into the problematic sense of wanting. Wanting, by which I mean in this case, uh, craving, addiction, drivenness, insistence, Gotta have it, must, my precious, <laughs> right? So that's the key. And what's totally great about that is that um, there's a traditional saying, liking without wanting is heaven. Wanting without liking is hell. So the art is to continue to the, enjoy the experiences we're having when they are enjoyable while letting go of them, because all experiences are transient, all experiences are impermanent, while letting go of them and simultaneously continuing to stay on target, continuing to stay on mission, pursuing our goals. So the question is how to do that. Uh, and in the brain, a little bit of brain science is useful here, because much as Uh, We can tell the difference in our experience between liking something uh, and wanting it in the sense of problematic drivenness. That's how I'm using the word wanting here. Much as we could tell the difference in our psychology about that, there's a difference in your brain. Deep in a part of your brain called the subcortex, which sits on top of the brainstem, first began to evolve 200 plus million years ago. It's a really ancient part of our brain today. That's ground zero for emotion and desire. Deep in the subcortex is a part called the basal ganglia, and inside that is a part called the nucleus accumbens. And inside that are little tiny nodes, like little switches, maybe a cubic 
cubic millimeter each or a little bigger. And these little switches regulate, for example, liking something distinct from wanting it. And what people can do is they can stimulate and therefore strengthen these little nodes or switches. They can stimulate them by, on the one hand, really becoming uh, mindful of what it's like to enjoy things while being unattached to them. What's it like to like something without getting attached to it? And the more uh, mindful you become of that experience, and the more, as you said earlier, it becomes a way of being that you can draw upon because you've built up trait liking without wanting. The more you do that, the more that becomes your home base. And on the other hand, when you notice as soon as you're caught up in problematic wanting, drivenness, insistence, sense of pressure, which is very characteristic for people. Or obsessing. Obsessing. Yeah. Yeah. Obsessed, compelled, anything that feels um, like you don't have freedom in your heart about it. Well, uh, as soon as you notice that, try to disengage from it. Drop the chalupa. You know, step out of that movie. Step back and see if you can be purposeful and deliberate and intentional without getting attached to the result. And there too, with practice, again and again and again, you drop the stone of insistence or compulsion, as you said, and you observe that I don't have to be uptight. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be contracted to keep uh, aiming high and to keep soaring and flying high. Or enjoying. And enjoying it along the way. That's right. So... What does this have to do? I mean, there, there's something here. You talk about motivational circuit, I yeah. think, and and it has something to do with dopamine oh, sure. that, that's released. Yeah. And what the question I have that occurred to me as I read this part of the book was: we have certain receptors in our brain yes. that for this really wonderful uh, hormone of Dopamine. I, I guess it's a hormone. Is that right? It's or technically it's, or, it's, it's the same molecule. It's called a hormone if it's outside of your nervous system. Uh-huh. Uh, so, for example, oxytocin. Uh-huh. When it operates outside the nervous system, it's called a hormone there. But if it's in your brain, it's a neurochemical. But okay. it's the same thing. Okay, yeah. neurochemical. Thank you for sure. for knowing what it is. Yeah. All right. And different people have different capacities. Yeah. For receiving this neurochemical yeah. and that fascinated me how how is that is that, are we born that way or or do we can we develop this right well you're a, first of all a close reader of my book so i'm very <laughs> grateful for that part um the short version here is that uh Another aspect of taking charge of the motivational machinery in your brain and in your body is to be able to help yourself learn to want the things that are good for you and others that you don't naturally want. So how do we get ourselves to fill in the blank, hold our temper, get on the treadmill, steer clear of too many cookies? How do we actually help ourselves do that? And the key to doing that is to associate reward to whatever we want to motivate. So, for example, uh, I should get on the treadmill. So I imagine how good it will feel before I do it. I imagine how good it will feel to do it, to listen to music, to read a little bit, to break, you know, break a sweat. Um, while doing it, I try to pay attention to what feels vigorous and energetic and good about it. And then, and then afterward, 
I try to recall what was rewarding about it. And that process of associating reward that I was doing in my little example there to what I want to motivate, which is getting on the treadmill, over time that becomes a new habit. So what we're talking about here is how do you create a good new habit? So the key to that is associating reward to behavior. What do you care? And the key to that in the motivational circuit of the brain is a neurotransmitter system, dopamine, that more and more people are paying attention to. So dopamine is just a molecule. It's produced naturally. And as dopamine uh, lands in receptors in the synapses, the little connections between neurons, so one neuron transmits dopamine, as it were, releases it, and the other neuron receives it at receptors that are like little docks in a wharf with the container ships bringing in little packets of dopamine molecules. All right, so that's how it basically works. So you need dopamine to be able to do it. But here's a little wrinkle that's very, very important. Um, genetically, some members of the human tribe have lots of dopamine receptors, naturally. So it doesn't take much reward for them to stay motivated. They just keep plugging away. My dad was very much like that. He would just keep plugging away. On the other hand, very naturally, some people, some members of the human tribe, have fewer dopamine receptors, which means for them that they need an ongoing supply train of dopamine coming their way. Otherwise, they get bored quickly. They don't, they don't feel stimulated enough by what they're doing, and they lose motivation, or there are a lot of 80% finished projects around them. They sort of burn out. And this is all really natural. It's not a character flaw. There's a high correlation between between people in the uh, attention deficit, hyperactivity, impulsivity spectrum, who are simply being quite spirited, um, that th most of them have this issue of not a lot of dopamine receptors. It just means that you need to help yourself keep the stimulation coming. Look for things that are novel or new. Look for what's fresh. That'll trigger a burst of dopamine. Look for what's pleasurable or enjoyable in what you're doing. That too will release more dopamine. Uh, shift things up, shake them up. Um, that will bring in more dopamine. And in this way, to finish, you can know a little bit about how your own brain operates and then guide yourself so you can stay with it in ways that may have been difficult for you in the past. I think this is so important, Rick. I think to, to know that about ourselves. I mean, I'm yeah. just thinking in, in my case, I've just uh, recently, I get bored with just straight exercise. Yeah. You know, I just, it just becomes boring. And like I recently um, signed up for curves that, you know, you go around a circle and you're doing all these machines, but you only have to stay with them for 30 seconds and you go around doing it. And even that was boring to me. So what I did was that I fixed up my my iPhone with my own personal playlist. So I have this really great music now, my own right. playlist. And now I'm like, oh, it got my attention again. So this is what you're talking about, that I figured out a way yeah. to give myself more pleasure in this activity. And in that way... More generally, too, you are growing the strength of motivation. Excellent. You're getting good at motivation. Excellent. I'm here with Dr. Rick Hansen. He is the author of Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, rickhansen, S-O-N, Hansen, S-O-N, dot net. 
or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Rick Hansen, and we're talking about being more resilient in these threshold times. And Rick, um, there are lots of ways that we can go here in the conversation, but yeah. I'm going to take us to the idea that you put forth is that we can actually grow in empathy. It's not something we're we're, we're maybe born with a little bit of it, maybe as a little baby, but then we kind of grow out of it. And, and But you're saying we can really reinstall that in our whole brain chemistry, in our hearts. And I'd love for you to talk about how we can increase our capacity for empathy. Well, it's a very timely question these days, right? Both at the very local level of families and organizations and then scaled up. How do we have empathy for people on the other side of the world or across the political divide here at home? And getting at that question is part of a larger uh, inquiry into uh, how do you grow the good inside yourselves? Or how do you help other people grow the good that lasts, the strengths and capabilities that last, including happiness and contentment and love inside yourself, right? Well, empathy, people often think of it as sort of a given. You're either able to tune into other people or you're not. But actually, like most of who we are, uh, you actually can influence who you become. Um, I've helped myself become a lot more empathic over my lifespan, including for people that are them, quote unquote, to my us. So empathy in the brain actually has three fundamental circuits or processes that support it uh, in which we tune into the actions, the feelings, and the thoughts of other people. And different parts of the brain do those different things. The so-called mirror, mirror neurons or mirror-like networks tune into the actions of others. A part of the brain called the insula is involved in tuning into the feelings or emotions of others. And regions behind your forehead in the prefrontal cortex are involved in tuning into the thoughts, the plans, the intentions, the motivations of other people. And through practice, you can strengthen each one of those capabilities. Uh, this speaks to the underlying idea that neurons which fire together, wire together. In other words, if you stimulate a part of the brain that does something, you can then strengthen it. So you can use this fact deliberately to uh, emphasize more, for example, tuning into the body language 
or movements or little tiny micro expressions around the eyes or mouth in other people and work those mirror-like networks, mirror-like systems to uh, become more empathic for the actions of others. Similarly, you can really get a feeling in your own body of what uh, it would be like for you if you were having the feelings or dealing with the situation of the other person. That will activate your insula, and as studies show, with repeated activation of that part of the brain, literally new neuronal connections will form, existing connections will become stronger, more blood will flow to the part of the brain that's doing that, and you will become more empathic for the feelings of others as a result. Similarly, you can do that with your uh, prefrontal cortex, repeatedly tuning into the thoughts of others and becoming more empathic as a result. So, Rick, this this is like going into what I call high noticing. Yeah, you know, that, that would be an example. That, yeah. let, let's say, um, all right, let me give you an example. We've all had, I'm sure, some moment in our life when someone really was present with us. They really noticed us. Yeah. They were really with us. And it's just, we, you, we feel bathed yeah. in their noticing of us. Yeah. They're, they're, they're paying attention to yeah. us. It feels so good. Totally. We just want to kind of be there forever. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that we're learning to return this. We're learning to be empathic with another by paying attention to another, really, really high attention and noticing, as you say, what's going on with them. So it, it's a matter of bringing our attention to that. And then I want to follow that up with, Rick, as we do this, there probably is some benefit for us too. It's not just a one-way street, mm. is it? No, I, it's there, we grow by being more empathic. Additionally, one thing that is important for a lot of people, they're already very empathic. They're so empathic, they get flooded. So that goes back to the old proverb, fences make for good neighbors. In other words, um, and in the book, I talk about how to ground yourself in yourself in a really centered way and to build up the trait of being grounded and centered, so then you can actually become even more open to other people. Because if you're so open, you get flooded, you can't sustain empathy. Uh, it just gets overwhelming. The other thing I, I would say about this related to empathy uh, is that empathy alone is neutral. Uh, interrogators, uh, torturers need empathy because they've got to really understand the impact they're having on other people. So in addition to empathy, which is really fundamental, we need to add commitment to justice, kindness, compassion, and the rest of that. But the foundation for real compassion and real kindness must be empathy. I've, I've been with people who gave me a kind of generic compassion, but couldn't be bothered to be actually affected by what I was feeling. Um, so just to finish, uh, if you think about it, as you were saying, uh, what it's like to receive the unconditional positive regard of another person, as Carl Rogers put it, uh, they're really tuning in and they're letting you land in them. Uh, they're letting you land in them. What a gift to us when we feel that coming at us from other people. Flip it around. What a gift to offer to other people to sustain attention to them and to give them uh, our attention second after second and breath after breath. 
That takes me to the uh, one of the uh, strengths that you talk about is generosity. Yeah, and you tell this wonderful story uh, with your uh, about from your co-author, your son right. Forrest Hansen, uh, when he was just a toddler, just yeah. a pre preschooler. Yeah. I mean, just I don't know how old he was, but yeah. can you share that wonderful story of his generosity? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, in the progression in the book, these twelve strengths, which maybe I'll just list quickly. Oh, they please. start with compassion especially for yourself, because you have to have that to begin any process of beneficial change. Compassion, uh, mindfulness, and learning. And then grit, gratitude, and confidence, including self-worth. And then um, calm, motivation, and intimacy. Got nine so far. And then the last three are courage, aspiration, and generosity. So that's the full cycle. And I honestly love the fact that we start with compassion and getting on our own side, and we finish with generosity. And people don't normally think of generosity as an inner strength or as a basis for resilience, but it actually is. As we are generous in giving to others, that itself calms the stress machinery in the body and brings us back to center. And in the giving, in the opening of the hand, that gesture fundamentally toward others, it's a reminder to us that we already have at least enough all over here. That's really beautiful. So the little story with Forrest, which is perfect because he's, of course, my co-author, he was about three years old, if that. Uh, we went out to a very ordinary restaurant in a strip mall near where we live. And um, uh, going out to dinner, if, if you've ever done that with a young child is an adventure and people <laughs> sitting at other tables were amused by what my wife and I were up to. It's a son. challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And an uh, older couple was sitting near us and they watched us with amusement and at the very end, a candy arrived with the check and I started unwrapping it. I handed it to Forrest so he could eat candy. He loved candy, still does, like sweets. And uh, the man at the table next to us in a joking and provocative way said, hey, little boy, can I have your candy? Right? We all expected Forrest to do the natural thing, which would be to withdraw, to pull his hand back. And I put natural in quotes here. Instead, he stared at the man. And I was worried internally that there was some kind of embarrassing moment that was going to occur. He stared at the man for three, four, five seconds at least, maybe longer, it seemed forever. And then Forrest opened his hand and reached toward the man with the candy in it. The whole restaurant went quiet. The, the man was startled. Then he gave Forrest this big grin and said, no, no, little, no, no, son, you can, you can keep that. And the point about this isn't that Forrest is a saint. He'd be the first to tell you he's not a saint. But one, generosity is natural to us. It's innate to us. There is something deep inside us. I think sometimes we describe our species as homo sapiens, the clever ape. Well, uh, to the extent that we evolve together, by uh, loving each other and giving to each other, as science shows over the long run of hominid and then human evolution, we could properly be called homo beneficus, the benevolent ape, right? So one, generosity is really natural and innate. Two, it touches the hearts of everyone around it. As soon as you see someone being generous, you go, oh, that's what the whole restaurant did when Forrest handed his peppermint back to the guy. 
oh, and I find that really lovely and inspiring. And again, these days, especially when the news, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, as they say in journalism, uh, the news is dominated by all these horrible things. They're, they're, they're happening, they're real, they need to be dealt with as well. But it's so easy to lose sight of the wonderfully positive qualities that are uh, at the core of people. And it's important not to lose sight of the fact that we can strengthen these inside ourselves and also stand in them increasingly as we, as we relate to the wider world. Rick, we could just go on and on. There are so many wonderful stories you could tell us, um, but I thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Justine, it's been a complete pleasure and an honor to be here on New Dimensions Radio. Oh, thank you so much. My honor as well. I've been speaking with Dr. Rick Hansen. He's the author, co-author with his son, Forrest Hansen, of Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, rickhansen.com. Net and Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Times. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3638. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore new dimensions.